Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big weekend in college football coming up. One of the great rivalries hasn't been uh, much in the last few years, but Florida State at Miami. A lot of interesting things always happen when those two teams get together. Florida is at Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher trying to rebound from some bad losses. And then USF, maybe with their best chance to win a game against Temple, that is in Philadelphia. And we'll talk about all of that and more along with Tennessee and Georgia getting together this weekend with Matt Baker our college football writer with the Tampa Bay Times in just a minute. First, we'll talk a little bit about the Bucks and the trade deadline, which passed at 4 p.m. on Tuesday. No deals made by Tampa Bay, but there were plenty of deals in the NFL. In fact, 10 uh, were made on the day of the deadline, which is the most in NFL history for the deadline day. And, you know, I think the one piece that was big was Bradley Chubb. Um, that's the guy that kind of made sense, I think, for the Bucks in this sense, that they lost Shaquille Barrett to a season-ending Achilles injury, and it's tough to replace a guy like that. But we knew that Chubb was going to fetch a lot of compensation, and he did. And I think that, as we've said, going into the trade deadline, it takes two, right? You, you have to have an agreement with the other team. The Broncos... Really didn't want to trade Chubb, but they got a lot back for him. They, the Dolphins gave him their 2023 20, first pick, first round pick, a 2024 20, fourth round pick, and also one other player, running back Chase Edmonds. And so that's when you start adding players and draft picks to things like that. Um, that's when team that, that owns the player, like the Denver Broncos, can kind of dictate the terms a little bit. So we don't know uh, what the Bucks were really investigating in terms of what players they had an interest in perhaps acquiring or maybe even trading for that matter. I would think they'd have been buyers instead of sellers with where they're at with Tom Brady, but you just don't know. And so now they're going to have to go with what they have. They're going to have to figure it out with this group of players, many of whom won Super Bowl a couple of years ago and have been to the playoffs. But as far as replacing Shaq Barrett, now it's Anthony Nelson. Former fourth-round pick from Iowa, it's Carl Nassib. Those will be the two primary guys that have to fill in. You know, tight end was also kind of a spot that I think the Bucks could have benefited from if they could have found the right one, even though Kate Otten has played well. Um, not the strongest blocker to date just now, and with Cam Brait kind of missing time with the concussion and the next brain, they could have used tight end help. And the Lions wound up trading TJ Hawkinson to the Minnesota Vikings for a 2023 second-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick. The Lions also got the Vikings fourth-rounder in 2023 and a conditional fourth-rounder in 2024. So swapping picks there. Um, You look at the receiver position, and you're not really confident that Julio Jones can stay healthy. There were some receivers that moved as well. Chase Claypool uh, went from from the Steelers. Um, He was also traded, and so... um, you know, there, there's some there's some deals that were out there to be had, um, but I think the way the Bucks look at this, quite frankly, 
I don't know how disappointed they are that they did or they didn't make a trade. But I do think that they look at this mini bye week, and even though they've now lost three in a row and five out of six, they're going to get some players back. You know, And so when you, you think about adding to your team, well, this is the way they're going to add to it is they get some healthy players. And it starts with defensive tackle Akeem Hicks, who was very close to playing in, in the uh, Thursday night game. I think it had been a Sunday game. Maybe he'd have done that. But I, I expect him to be back for this game against the Rams coming up on Sunday. Antoine Winfield Jr., who had the concussion, he was in protocol. He should be back. Carlton Davis, the cornerback, has had a hip injury. Uh, he could return. Sean Murphy bunting uh, as well with a quad. And then both receivers, you know, Russell Gage, who had been been out. And then Julio Jones could could end up, you know, getting healthier and healthier as the season goes on, so long as he doesn't suffer a setback. Uh, so I think all in all, um, look, this is the group, right? This is this is who they spent a lot of money in free agency on. And when you look down the road, the thing about Chubb was is that he's a free agent after this year. So you could put a franchise tag on him if you wanted to. But they're already paying a lot of money to Shaq Barrett. They used a first-round pick on Joe Tryon, Shawinka. Those are the guys they're kind of committed to. Uh, for the short and maybe long term, maybe not so long with Shaq because his base salary at least is not guaranteed next year. Um, but it just didn't work. It just didn't work out. And again, not talk to really Jason Light or anybody, but I just know that you know if you think about you know ten trades being the most that there's ever been on the deadline day. Well, there's 32 teams, and so that means a lot of people, a lot of teams, uh, really didn't add to their club. So it's kind of the way it goes, but, uh, you know, look, we'll, we'll be able to talk to Todd Bowles a little bit about that later today. Um, the Bucks go back to work in preparation for their game against the Rams. And then, of course, later this week it'll be Tom Brady and um, Byron Leftwich and, uh, and such to, you know, kind of round out the week. So we'll get more of their take on, on the uh, lack of trades or additions to this football team. But... Uh, you know, we know they've made some additions on the practice squad, bringing back Tyler Johnson, as they did. So there's a receiver that if they needed to activate him, they could. They have two spots on the active roster. They released Fred Johnson, uh, the the tackle, the other day. Um, so that created some space for them as well. So a lot of moving parts with the Bucks. The biggest thing is they got to figure out how to win again. You know, they need a win, any win, and the Rams are struggling running the ball, much like the Bucks are. And so, you know, they come in here, uh, basically the same record, two defending Super Bowl champs the last two years struggling just to get out of the blocks and try to make the playoffs. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see if uh, really either one of those teams can do that. Matt Baker coming up here in just a minute. But first, I remind you guys of May Electric Solar, if your energy bill is going up like everyone's is, here's a solution for you. They're a family-owned business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years now. There's a lot of these companies out there that knock on your door, but May Electric Solar, they've been here. They're committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. So if something goes wrong, boom, they're back out there. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That right there is the May difference. If you visit their Hutchins showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install, what your needs are, how much you need in terms of solar energy. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. Those are all Billy Mays guys up there on the roof, so if you, you'll know exactly uh, who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar, 
800-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your life and the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Okay, always the favorite time of the week, a chance to talk to Matt Baker, who covers college football and other things, of course, for the Tampa Bay Times. And Matt... It is a, uh, a traditional game, one that uh, has had nap- national implications in the past, not so much this year, but still an interesting matchup, Florida State at Miami. Um, look, at Florida State is starting to turn a corner a little bit. We can talk a minute about how their offense has a, a bunch of explosive plays this year. Miami, not so sure what we got down there. Um, tell me what you're looking for in this game in particular. Well, thanks for having me on. I don't know if there's one thing in particular that I'm kind of looking for. I'm just excited to do this one. You know, Florida State, Miami, I think I've done every one. I think I've only missed one since 2013. And they've almost all been really entertaining um, and, and memorable. You know, I think like the, the, the block at Hard Rock and, you know, and Jalen Ramsey just having a sensational play and, and or sensational game in 2014 and, you know, it, it more or less cost Manny Diaz his job last year with fourth and fourteen, and did cost Willie his job and uh, with then twenty nineteen. So this is just such an intense series that always delivers. Compare that to say Florida Georgia, where they've almost all been duds since I've been doing it, and Florida Florida State, where they've almost all been duds that I've covered. So I'm just excited for the atmosphere. I'm excited to just watch two teams that really don't like each other go at it and. I guess if you drill me down a little bit more, I want to see the continued growth of FSU. You know, I've got them kind of right on the bubble of my top 25, so I want to see if they can kind of deserve to make a push then. And I'm just interested to see what where, where Mario Cristobal's team is right now with, with the Canes because they're, they're nowhere near what I expected. I, I just expected better, even if you factor in all the injuries and what have you. They're, they're just not what I expected, so I want to see them with my own eyes. Well, Florida State, getting back to them, I mean, they uh, you know, played a Georgia Tech team that is not overwhelming, to say the least. But you're starting to see some exciting Florida State football offensively in particular, and that's kind of what Mike Norvell promised, both that and special teams. And, and it looks like some playmakers are really starting to emerge there. Yeah, I mean, Florida State is fun to watch. I was thinking about it earlier. I, I don't think I've really said that since uh, Dalvin Cook was there. Yeah, uh, and I mean it's it's been a while since FSU was a fun team to watch, and they absolutely are right now because they've got a bunch of playmakers. You know, Lawrence Toafili from Pinellas Park, very good running back who had a t- uh, rush for a touchdown and caught a touchdown against Georgia Tech. Uh, Trayshawn Ward, when he's healthy from Tampa Bay Tech, really good player. Trey Benson, the the transfer from Oregon at running back, really good player. Jordan Travis is fun to watch. Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman at receiver. They've got guys in different positions with different skill sets that are making big plays. And that's what Mike Norvell's teams did at Memphis. That, that's what really made them fun to watch when, when he was there. Um, they, they could have a running back who could line up at receiver and they'd make it work, or a receiver who could do a bunch of jet sweeps and kickoff returns and, and make it work. And they were extremely explosive, one of the you know five or ten most explosive teams in the country in terms of just big plays at Memphis. And they're at that point now with, with FSU. Just in terms of uh, plays of more than 20-plus yards, you can quibble with what an explosive play is. But uh, second in the country behind Ole Miss, which has played one more game. They're fourth in the country in explosive run plays, fourth in the country in explosive punt returns, ninth in the country in explosive pass plays, and they had a 93-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. This is a team that 
I don't know they were quite where Norvell was at Memphis, where you want to watch them every single snap they have the ball because you don't know what's going to happen. But they are entertaining, and they're getting it done and making a lot of progress. That kind of, If I were an FSU fan, that would give me a lot of optimism about where this program's going, just because he, Norvell's had time to get his playmakers in place, and they're starting to really make plays now. It's starting to look like Florida State football, and that's, that's what uh, people want is that brand back and, and an exciting offense that's happening with Mike Norvell. Not so exciting early in the game. You went up to Jacksonville, Florida, Georgia. Uh, the Gators get way behind, but I guess you give them an E for effort to some degree. They kept playing after the second half or into the second half. And at one point I looked up, Matt, it was, I think it was like a two-score game. Um, <laughs> didn't end up that way, of course. Georgia had just too much. Again, the talent golf is palatable, right? When you see these teams line up against each other, you can tell how many more dudes, as you like to say, Georgia has than Florida right now. Yeah, that's the real thing. Um, so a, a couple things there. The, the talent gap is, is massive. Uh, and that's, that was the biggest thing that you take away. You look at some of the plays that decided that game. There was a fourth down play uh, early in the fourth quarter where Jalen Carter, just the, the standout defensive lineman for Georgia, just straight up beats his guy, flushes Anthony Richardson out. Then a you know former top two hundred linebacker who flies in and 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 kind of corrals him and forces that to forces a throw away. That's a sensational play by Jalen Carter, and, and Georgia has a bunch of guys like Jalen Carter. Um, and then you look at you know Brock Bowers was the tight end mismatch for Georgia, one of the better players in the country. Now, I mean, obviously he had that great play that was tipped, I think, four or five times, maybe off a helmet uh, that he caught from over Amari Bernie for a long touchdown. But he had a couple other really impressive plays, too. And Darnell Washington, the other big tight end who looks like a power forward, for goodness sakes. They've got a couple guys that you, you just can't guard them. There's, you know, linebacker's not fast enough. Defensive back is too small. They've got mismatches that Florida does not. And the Gators over the years have had those type of guys. Kadarius Toney, uh, Percy Harvin, Kyle Pitts. They've had guys like that in the past. And right now they don't. And that's the biggest difference. Um, but the other part that you, you mentioned, kind of E for effort, I, I did want to touch on that for a second because that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously, I, I watched the Florida-Georgia game. I was there in 2021 where it was similar, where the Gators fell behind by three or four scores in the first half, and they didn't have a pulse, and that, and that was that. I, I don't think it's fair to say that the Gators quit that day, but they could not do anything to mount a comeback. And, and that wasn't the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. I think that happened a little bit earlier. But that, to me, was one of the points where it was pretty clear, like, okay, this is not going the right way. And then you compare that to Saturday, where you know, they were down 28-3 at, at halftime. And then they come back and they get a stop and, and they score here and get another stop and, and score on a long, uh, a long touchdown run. And suddenly, three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. It's a one-score game. At, at no point did I think the Gators were really going to win. I'll be honest. Just like mm-hmm. Florida, Tennessee, I did not think they were going to win. Um, LSU kind of go back and, and look at that. I, I don't know that I thought the Gators were going to win. But they made it competitive and they kept fighting. And, and that's something. You know, and Billy Napier talked about that Saturday and again on Monday as he's trying to kind of build this thing in the, the way that he wants it done. You have to start with that effort. The same way it was with, with Norvell at FSU. You have to start with the, the minimum expectation of extreme effort. And once you've got that, you can start building around it. And I think the Gators are moving in the right direction. 
How much improvement, if you just judge Anthony Richardson, who had a you know a fairly rough start a year ago, to 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 how he played against the same team this year? How much growth have you seen throughout the year with him? That's a really good question, and it's a really hard question. You mm-hmm. you look at the numbers, he's he, he's not necessarily getting a ton better, and, and you look at the games, and he's not necessarily getting a ton better. Just in talk of you know his specific plays. What I guess I'd say he's done is he's leveling out. He's not making as many of these sensational 80-yard runs like he had against LSU or, or the ridiculous jump, spin move thing he had against Utah. There's not a lot of those spectacular plays. But on the flip side, there's not a lot of those just horrific plays. You know, Really going back to pretty much all of last year when he played, there was one or two throws almost every game that was bad. Either a bad decision, he airmails a pass, whatever the case may be. There were one or two just ghastly plays that he would make just about every game. Now, I don't know, off the top of my head, I don't know that he had one against Georgia. Um, again, there was no spectacular plays in there. Maybe you say that the long touchdown to Xavier Henderson, but the, the, the game-breaking plays weren't there either. And he's had back-to-back games without an interception. So I, I think there's something, just in terms of getting rid of the high highs and the low lows and trying to kind of get in the middle. Now, going forward, for Florida to be the team that they're going to have, that they want to be the rest of the year and and next year as well, assuming Richardson's still there, they're going to need those spectacular plays in there. They're going to have to have those ones where he just rips off a 50-yard run. They're going to have to have that. But right now I am seeing some growth in what what Dan Mullen used to call the unspectacular play, where you're getting blitzed and the best thing you can do is a three-yard check down to the running back. I'm seeing some growth there. I mean, avoiding mistakes and learning to play the position is as big as as making plays sometimes. So you're absolutely right about that. Um, you wrote a story, uh, and we can talk about USF's uh, opportunity, I think, that they have at Temple and maybe one of their last opportunities to get a win. Um, but but let's start with the fact that you did a story in the Tempe Times on Tempe.com, a good one, um, about what USF missed out. You know, several of those um, American athletic teams went to the Big 12 uh, including UCF. So what what might that have done from a revenue standpoint uh, to a program like USF? So the, the context here is on Sunday, the Sports Business Journal broke the news that the Big 12 is finalizing its next TV deal. It uh, starts in 2026 and then goes through the 2030-31 year. So it'd be six years, and it's two point three, almost $2.3 billion with a B. Compare that to the AAC, which is where USF currently is, and it's a twelve. They're in the middle of a twelve-year deal worth one billion. So, to put that into simple terms, Cincinnati, Houston, um, UCF, their their new TV deal that they're going to be in is for half as long and more than twice as much money. Gee. What that means in terms of dollars and cents, just for, from TV revenue, by my math, you add up that difference over the, the six-year term of that one contract. And it's $150 million is the difference in revenue between what UCF will, will probably get and what USF will probably get. Um, and, and the real gap, the real gulf is probably bigger than that, um, just because I would assume the Big 12 will get more in college football playoff money once that expansion is done, once that whole new contract is finalized. Um, the, the, the Big 12 will also probably get more uh, money from the NCAA tournament and, and kind of how all that stuff goes than the AAC. So the real gap is going to be probably a lot bigger than that, but a conservative 
back of the envelope, you know, guesstimate by me was 150 million dollars in, in revenue over over six years is what the difference will be. This is a, a question you can't answer probably in a uh, in, in a podcast necessarily, but I I still see, you know, I look at USF man, and I look at Central Florida and how those teams used to go at it. And, and sort of the disdain at times that USF had for Central Florida. And you just think, how did this happen? How, does, how did UCF kind of whiz by on the, in, in the express lane all the way to the Big 12 when here is USF still trying to get their act together? That is a fantastic question. I mean, that is a $150 million question. And frankly, it's, yeah. it's a bigger number than that. Um, yeah. The short answer is twofold one ucf invested um ucf invested in facilities i remember stadium you think is that what we're talking about or it's it's the stadium um that's that's part of it it's the Mm -hmm. an indoor practice facility i mean Uh, ucf uh, i think it was within the last year or so had to replace the turf on their in in their indoor practice facility usf hasn't opened yet or it's about to open or it's (laughs) it's it's, it's close okay (laughs) Right, that's a pretty big difference right there. Yeah, um, and just everything around that. Uh, I mean, I, I remember when I covered high school, I was talking to some of the bigger recruits here, and they were more interested in UCF than USF because of um, mm-hmm. because of the facilities. So that's bucket one, and then bucket yeah. two is they hired the right coaches. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. it's that simple. Where uh, O'Leary took them to, uh, I think it was the Fiesta Bowl with, with with Bortles, and that was a big thing. And then they created. And then Scott Frost brings them back, and, and Heupel, and it, they were able to hit on coaches in a way that USF did not. Um, I, there's other factors in there, too. Um, the fact that Orlando does not have a pro team, uh, or excuse me, does not have an NFL team. So I think there's more of an attention, more of a, a focus on UCF over there by the casual Orlando fan than there is USF here. I think that's a factor. Um there's kind of a whole bunch of issues that go into it, but the fact is that UCF took the right risks and made the right choices with coaching and everything else and got lucky with Mackenzie Milton and, 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 and Bortles and what have you, and they did what USF did not or could not do, and that put them in a situation where US, UCF has got one of the golden tickets, and I don't know what the, the future of the Power Five is going to look like in the new playoff era and, and this, that, and the other, but the fact is, UCF is going to a bigger conference, which plays very entertaining football. That, frankly, is going to be one of the best to watch in the coming years when you look at the parity. Think about UCF and Cincinnati going up against Oklahoma State and TCU and Kansas State, who are all pretty darn good, comparable teams. It's, I don't know who's going to be the favorite next year or the next year or the next year. That should be a lot of fun to watch. So just all those factors together put UCF at the point where they left uh, for a long time. USF viewed UCF as a little brother, and now that situation is reversed. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and USF still looking for more wins for Jeff Scott. Obviously, they go to Temple. Matt, this might be the last best chance, especially in the AAC, to get one for him. Um, what do you know about Temple, and, and and are there any signs now that they've you know obviously they've lost their quarterbacks? Um, what do you see from USF in, the, in this game, this opportunity for them? Well, it's, it, as you mentioned, it is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, Temple is, frankly, not good. They're, right. just, they're just not a good team. They're not particularly fun to watch. Um, 
I, I have seen a little bit of them, and, and they're just you know, it's not great. Uh, mm-hmm. Most interesting thing I can say on Temple, their quarterback is uh, one of them's EJ Warner, who is Kurt Warner's son, right. and that's about all I got because they're not they're 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 not good. Right. So if USF can't beat Temple, a bad Temple team mm-hmm. with a first year staff, that's an issue. That's yeah. an issue. And I know USF has, has had a thousand injuries and, and including to the quarterback and, and all that stuff. But I guess I would say in a, in a delicate manner, if USF can't beat this temple team in this situation, then it makes you really, really hard to see where other wins are going to come. And it makes right. it really hard to sell any sort of growth. It, it's not, you know, I, I still look at, at Tulsa here in a couple weeks. Um, the Bulls play there on a Friday night. Tulsa's in a rough situation, too, where I think the expectation in the industry is that Phil Montgomery, their head coach, is going to get fired. Mm-hmm. So that's a winnable game as well. But I guess for USF to really show some sort of growth, maybe you can sell going from two wins to three and two, one conference win to two, in which case Temple and Tulsa are must win. So it's just pivotal you know, to show some sort yeah. of growth and progress that this thing can turn around. Because if, if you can't beat them... It's really hard to sell progress, Rick. Yeah, I agree with you. And I watched Temple play, I think it was on a Thursday night, maybe Friday, and um, not much atmosphere there at their home stadium. Um, and certainly the team is struggling, first first year uh, coaching staff and all of that. So it's going to take them a while to iron things out. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a, a golden opportunity uh, and one of the last for them. I'm going to go back to Florida real quick, only because they are at Texas A&M. And we have talked about the train wreck that are the Aggies, and particularly Jimbo Fisher. I know they've committed a ton of money to this guy, and he was supposed to be all that with his recruiting classes and whatnot. But my goodness, uh, could we could we be watching the end of, of Fisher in Texas A&M right now? I, I mean, it's possible. Um, I don't think so, just because the buyout is... I think so it's large, eighty-six yeah. million dollars is what it would be after this year. <laughs> wow! Some, some, yeah, it's it's something absolutely absurd like that. And I mean, I know what the price of oil is. I mean, I know what it is when I when I fill up my my Honda Civic. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so maybe it's high enough where enough people are, are upset, but I don't think it's there. Um, just yeah, because yeah. that is a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there is some sort of uh progress i suppose in terms of you know the recruiting class that he's compiled um so you know if you don't if you have the wins you pound the wins that's the old saying right you you harp on the wins if you don't have the wins you harp on the recruiting class you pound the recruiting class if you don't have either you pound the table and at least they can (laughs) pound the recruiting class right now and what they've done as hey maybe things are getting better and you know obviously connor wagman the quarterback has uh, played pretty well. Had a nice game the other night. Evan Stewart, receiver, is really good uh, as a true freshman. So they've got at least a couple pieces. Um, that doesn't make it palatable what's going on, certainly. Um, but it, it should be enough combined with an insane buyout to keep things around. Uh, it's just it's been hard to watch, and uh, I, I don't know how he's going to straighten it out there. But if he's got the talent, um, usually that's a good place to start. Florida, you think? has a chance to go in there and, 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 uh, and, and I don't know if they're favored or not actually in this game, but this seems like a great chance for Florida. It does. And it doesn't. Um, 
the line, I'm checking the line here. Uh, yeah, the line is Aggies by three and a half. When it opened, okay. I saw somebody had it at nine, and, and I oh, saw wow. three. Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. It, it, yeah, A&M favored by a field goal or so. Um, uh, this is a tough one to me. And, and honestly, that's just the way the, the Gators are right now. Um, yeah. You look at their schedule. They've got A&M this week, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Florida State. I think we can more or less pin in, maybe not Sharpie, but at least pin in uh, the Vandy win as a W. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the other three could, up in could the air, three, right? Yeah, they could go yeah. three and zero, oh, and I yeah. I would be a little surprised, but not stunned. They yeah. could go zero oh and three, and I'd be surprised, but not stunned. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. where the Gators are. Um, mm-hmm. So I, this is, but as we look at it. Yeah, A&M is not a great team. Um, they have talent, but they've underachieved. If South Carolina can beat Texas A&M, then I don't know why the Gators couldn't either. Um, it just depends on whether Florida can find some consistency that, that's been lacking and um, kind of put it together in a whole, whole cliche, but a whole fourth quarter, four quarter effort, and whether uh, Jimbo's Aggies are going to start to figure it out um, based on the offense that they should run and, and the personnel that they have. Well, it's going to be interesting uh, how, how they navigate that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There are some great national games uh, starting with, and this is not insignificant, Tennessee, Georgia. My, oh, my. Um, the Vols have, have been rolling this year, and we know what Georgia is, defending national champions. I, I don't know how much more excited people in the SEC could be for a game, but this this one promises to be a good one yeah it does i think th- this is a, a really interesting matchup um just because you know I, i've seen both these teams play the gators in person uh, obviously i'm not breaking any news here tennessee's offense is really good it's really fast it's really fun to watch and, and georgia's defense again captain obvious it's really good it's really fast it's really fun to watch so that that matchup you know, whole uh, styles make fights kind of thing I, I'm curious to see how Georgia's um, defense can try to stop or slow down that Tennessee offense. I don't know if that it's the, the best matchup for Georgia, just because Georgia's kind of more strength and Tennessee's more speed. And that Georgia's front is, is probably better than their secondary, at least to my eye. So I think that's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. And, and then the other side of it is, can Georgia's offense kind of keep exploding? Uh, you know, who, who on Tennessee can try and slow down a Brock Bowers or, or Washington or McIntosh, the, the um, starting back for Georgia? Who can kind of slow them down and, and Stetson, force Stetson Bennett into some mistakes? Because, yeah, I think this is a fantastic matchup that I will look forward to watching as much as I can in the press box at a Hard Rock Stadium. Speaking of the SEC, and this is really not one of the things that I planned on talking about, but I will anyway. Auburn fires their head coach, and one interim coach is Cadillac Williams, former running back of the Buccaneers. Um, I say this because, you know, that program 
still has plenty of resources, right? I mean, no reason why they can't get themselves back to the top or near the top of the SEC. And then speaking of Georgia, there's a guy I'm familiar with in Todd Munkin, who I think has done a really, really good job as an offensive coordinator there. Any chance that someone like Munkin would be in line for at least as a candidate at that place or anywhere else in the SEC? I would think he could get a look. Um, And and what helps is he does is Munkin does have head coaching experience, you know, at at Southern Southern Miss. Miss. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Auburn historically doesn't go hire the the hot assistant. That's not what they've done. Um, They've hired somebody who has at least had some head coaching experience. Um, So I would not. I wouldn't rule it out, but the, the, the names that you, you kind of hear in the industry when it comes to Auburn, Lane Kiffin is one that comes up, sure. um, which would be interesting. Um, Auburn has better resources than Ole Miss. They're more of a, you know, they're a program that's almost everybody who's been there in the, in the last 50 years or whatever has had a perfect season, won a national championship, or played for a national championship. And you cannot say that about Ole Miss. So that might be right. why that's intriguing for, for Lane Kiffin. Um the other one that you have to mention is, is Deion Sanders. Um, sure, sure. I, I think most, a lot of people in the industry expect him. I'm um, certainly he's going to get Power Five looks this cycle. There's no question. Um, I think a lot of people expect him to really consider them and see which job it is that he would want, if any. And Auburn is one where there's no question he would recruit the heck out of it. Um, could he be a good enough exit and those coach? I don't know. But you look at the talent he brought in at Jackson State or has brought in at Jackson State, the buzz he's brought there, there's no question he would be a splash hire for Auburn. So that, that, those would be the two names that immediately come to my mind. But yeah, Todd Munkin is somebody that I've seen thrown out in other circles along with like Matt Rule and what have you. So I yeah. would think he'd, he'd be an interesting candidate. I could see Matt Rule going back to college as well very soon uh, and being a, a pretty high candidate there. Um, there is another game, uh, and I... I, I'm a, I'm not sure how you, where you stand with Alabama, who can't really afford to lose another game, certainly in the SEC. But they play LSU, and LSU is is you know starting to get a little swag, a little momentum going. Um, this could be a tough game for Alabama. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's it's a night game in Death Valley. Right. <laughs> that, that <in laughs> Enough itself, said, right? Yeah, yeah it, it is a Death Valley at night and Death Valley in general. It is a special place. It is a it is crazy. Uh, everything you've heard about it is, is 100% true. So that in of itself is an issue. And, and look, Alabama is really good, but mm-hmm. obviously they're beatable. Tennessee beat them. Um, yeah. Texas almost beat them. Their talent is, you know, them and Georgia are 1-2-1, two, two, but they haven't been consistent yet they keep making those un-alabama like mistakes on you know uh, bobbling things on special teams bad penalties just stuff that alabama normally doesn't do and if they do that enough against lsu lsu can totally beat them i don't think they will but right. that's definitely a, a game that bama could slip up because you know as, as you mentioned they, they gotta win out to win to make the playoff um i think if they they went out then yeah that they'll be in but as it is uh you know, two losses this year would not look like it's it's gonna that's gonna happen. They reeled it back in a little bit in terms of the penalties and the mistakes a week ago. So we'll see if they continue that track and played a little defense as well, which was good to see. If you're Nick Saban, all right. The first college football uh, playoff poll is out uh, tonight. We are doing this podcast prior to that. However, the only poll that I care about is Matt Baker's poll. Who do you got for the top uh, teams? <laughs> 
in the college football playoff right now. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and and the best thing, I, I don't have to go all the way to Dallas to do my rankings. I just <laughs> do go. it on on the couch with my my kindergartner next to me. Um, so <laughs> I've got Tennessee at one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. I do not feel strongly about that order. That, that's a hmm. terrible, lukewarm take. But I don't. Um, I've seen Tennessee and Georgia with my own eyes. Yeah. I think Georgia will win uh, on Saturday. Um, okay. But Tennessee's resume is fantastic. I mean, they just kicked the crap out of a top, at least top 30 Kentucky team. So, you, and, and then, you know, I saw them beat the Gators and all this stuff. So you can't, and they beat LSU handily. So you can't kind of knock them based on what they've done. But I do think Georgia will probably be a better team uh, on Saturday. So I, I don't, again, I don't feel super strongly. Ohio State, I feel better about after watching them have a game against Penn State and didn't play particularly sharp and still found a way to win going away. And then fourth, I've got Clemson. Um, again, that's that's a strength of the schedule, a strength of the, the record thing, where they you know beat Florida State in Tallahassee, uh, beat Wake, beat NC State. They've got a they've got a very impressive team to me, just in the ways they've consistently found ways to win, um, and they've got a tough one potentially against Notre Dame this weekend too, by the way. And then I've got Michigan at five, just on the outside. Their non-conference schedule was unbelievably weak. So if I were the, the committee, that's prob- I would have those four in some order. And, uh, you know, watch out for TCU too and coming down the stretch. Well, it should be a great, great week of college football. I wish it was a little cooler. I don't feel like it's quite fall yet here in the south in Florida anyway. And where you're headed to Miami to see Florida State and the Miami Hurricanes should be a great one down there. Safe travels. Matt, we'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Should be a great weekend in college football. Looking forward to it. Some really good games, especially uh, the Tennessee-Georgia game. That's going to be wild and, and huge uh, national uh, championship implications of, of those games as well, LSU-Alabama, all of that. So we look forward to that. Uh, the Bucks, as I mentioned earlier, will continue or begin, really, their, their preparations uh, for the Rams on Sunday. We'll have a chance to talk to Todd Bowles, talk more about the fact that they did not make any moves at the trading deadline, who's going to be healthy enough to play in this game, will they get some of their guys back, all of that later today. Check us out on TampaBay.com and uh, in the Tampa Bay Times for all the latest on, on the Bucks and really uh, all sports. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.